Hey everybody, this is August Zadra, and you're listening to Michael's Record Collection. Hello everybody, welcome to Michael's Record Collection, episode number 54. Very excited for this episode, I'm speaking with August Zadra. If you don't know August's work, well... He's the guitar player for Dennis DeYoung, the Styx legend himself, and friend of Michael's record collection. August Zadra has been with Dennis's band for about the last 12 years. He's been in Journey and Styx tribute bands, and he's played with a lot of famous people in the L.A. music scene. Stepping out on his own and doing his own solo project. The project is called Zadra. And the first album is called Guiding Star. It just came out in February, and it is outstanding, melodic, album-oriented rock with all of the right influences. You know them, you love them. Foreigner, Sticks, Journey, Boston, Toto, I mean, you name it. <laughs> if you listen to it growing up, it's probably in there somewhere. So I'm very excited to talk to August about this particular album and about his career so far, his influences, his first favorite record, all of that good stuff. Before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that uh, you can subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to michaelsrecordcollection.com, and there are links there to my video page and all of my social media. Follow me on Twitter, at Mike's Records, Michael's Record Collection on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can write to me at michaelsrecordcollection at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, get your feedback on the show. But uh, you have the link there also to sign up for my free Michael's Record Collection newsletter. Get it in your email every week, absolutely free of charge. And it's a little bit different spin on the things we talk about here on the podcast. So without further ado, let us get to that interview with August Zadra. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Michael's Record Collection. I'm very excited to have with me for this episode, August Zadra. Thank you for your time tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's good to be here. It's uh, it's an exciting time for you. You've got a new, uh, your new solo album is out. It came out in February, and uh, that is, you know, a, a pretty exciting milestone for you. It's called Guiding Star. The band's called Zadra, and it's it's a really great uh, album-oriented rock, a melodic rock album. And um, so you're you're considering this like a sort of a solo project rather than a band at this point? Correct. I think project is the way to describe it. And um, I was, you know, been getting this asked a lot lately, of course, you know, would I, will I tour, would I tour? And it's kind of, you know, everything's changed so much even before the pandemic hit related to touring and, and how musicians are able to earn a living. And um, I think it's one of those things like specifically with Frontiers, how they, they they put a lot of projects together. There's bands, of course, as well, but they they try to put a, a lot of people together or, or or create a situation for someone to put a, like myself to put out a record, and then see if anything happens. Throw it all against the wall, see if anything happens to the stick, and then possibly throw some resources behind it. But you know, I don't actually have a band, so I don't have any. There's no live shows planned at this time, but I would welcome any opportunity to do so. Yeah. So before we get into sort of the nuts and bolts of the album, uh, I always like to start out by asking you, what was your first favorite record? My first favorite record was probably, uh, well, my first rock record would have been the uh, early Kiss stuff. But even before that, as a kid, I think 
I went from originally uh, Jim Croce, and then I went to Peter Frampton, and then Kiss, and then from there it all took off. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had a similar, uh, a similar path, I guess. I started with KTEL Records, and then uh, sure, I discovered I discovered Kiss uh, along the way. So that Alive album was huge, and and yes. every every kid growing up in the Midwest had it, and uh, it was kind of like um, it was almost like a requirement for you to have yeah, it. <laughs> a rite of passage, right? As a teenage male, exactly. So I want to get into a little bit about uh, your background first. What is the status you're in? Or, or you were in it anyway i don't know what the status of the band is this uh journey tribute band lights i, I noticed there haven't been any uh posts on social media in, in quite some time about it i haven't been with the band since 2010 okay i have subbed them a couple of times but not in probably 10 years mm -hmm. so this is a band that um it was it was a pretty well renowned uh journey tribute band and again like, like i said they, there just hasn't been any activity on, on social so uh i haven't seen it but uh, you know, there's videos and things like that that you can go find online and 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 stuff like that. So, but you've you've done a lot of, of sort of um, I don't want to say gun for hire type stuff, but you you you've played with a lot of a lot of people. I have a friend of mine that always says, you know, wherever they're waving cash. You know? <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I did spend a lot of years working in the tribute scene here in LA, mm -hmm. and you know, there, I did Journey Tribute Band, Lights, and several others. I worked. There was there was even a time recently. I think it was in the month last August or maybe September. I think it was August. I played uh, played with three different tribute journey tribute bands over a three week period in three different states. And you know, I, I'm very familiar with that material and love that material. But I'm kind of trying to put the tribute thing behind me. And and, and it was you know I had been in a, the reason I got the gig with Dennis DeYoung, my main gig for the last twelve years, mm -hmm. um, was because I had been in a Sticks tribute band, and he he saw the videos of that. And it, yeah, uh, so I was about to get into that. Dennis DeYoung, you you played on his uh, his highly praised uh, last two studio albums, the Twenty Six East Volumes One and Two, and mm -hmm. you're you've been a member of his touring band. You, I guess, are are playing the role of of Tommy Shaw because you know you know the you know, you know all the parts. You can play it, you can sing it. And uh, what was it like getting involved with Dennis? How did you two meet? How did you guys? I mean, you just mentioned you know that you were playing in a, a Sticks tribute band, but like sort of what kicked off that whole relationship the uh the it's a good long story but, but to, to try to do the uh the, the the edited version or the abridged version um is that it was not long after you know neil sean and journey had famously found arnell on youtube mm -hmm. dennis's son is an insomniac or used to be and he was just up one late at, you know typing on youtube as we do and uh, he's filipino sticks tribute singer you know, trying to find the next another arnell and one thing leads to another on YouTube, you're down the rabbit hole. And finally he found Sticks Tribute Band in LA and he saw a couple of clips of me singing. Oh mama, I can hear you are crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hangman is coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Yeah! Sick. 
the backstory there real quick is that um, the band, so this was in 2010 or the end of 2009. This video was from 2005 or six, I think. It was one of the last shows we had done in that band and been, is one of those things, I'm not an early adopter of technology. And so, I, hey, I've got all this old, you know, VHS and eight millimeter, I'll digitize it, put some on, on YouTube like everyone's doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically that's what happened. The the audio was really great on this recording. The video was pretty distant. It was back by the soundboard. Mm -hmm. But um, Dennis's son, Matt, the story as he called his dad at 1230 at night and said, you got it. And, you know, Dennis was like, no one calls me. It's like, there better be blood. You know, it's like, <laughs> and, you know, Matt said, hey, uh, you need to come come downstairs and, and check this out. Get on your computer and look at this. And um, that was uh, that was December 22nd. You know, the holidays were coming. I talked to Dennis's manager that, that on the 20, 23rd. I, I talked to Dennis's manager for about 45 minutes. And um, you know, I said, well, we had a great conversation. I said, well, what's next? You know, and he said, well, I'll talk to Dennis if he's interested. You know, he, you'll hear from him mm -hmm. next morning, he calls. You know, and uh, it was pretty exciting. And you know, he said, well, I'm thinking about making some changes. What are your plans coming up soon? I said, well, it's, you know, it's Christmas is in two days. And um, he said, well, yeah, 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 yeah. But what about, you know, you got any plans for New Year's? I said, I do. He said, when are you back? I said, the second. He goes, be here on the third. <laughs> and, you know, a couple hours later, I have a, you know, they sent me a ticket. And it was one of those things where we just, Dennis wanted us to be sure that he doesn't trust technology so much. It's like, I see a video of this guy. And I told him this is five, six years ago, this video. And that was the only time I've ever sang lead in a band was doing the Tommy Shaw stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, he said, I want to make sure that that guy I'm seeing is actually you and you can make that sound. And between the two of us, we sound good together. And so we sat down at his piano bench and I choked famously the first two attempts on this on Lady. It was 1030 in the morning, which, you know, 830 L.A. time. Yeah. Nobody sings that early, nobody, you know, <laughs> except for Dennis. And uh, the, the first two were, were terrible. And he was looking at me like, what? You know, God, I made a mistake flying this kid out here. And then the third time it was nice. And then it just took off from there. And. And, you know, 12 years later, here we are. And it's you know, for the last 10 years before COVID, you know, we were doing anywhere from 45 to 65 shows a year. And it's been an amazing experience for me. Yeah. I talked to Dennis uh, right about the time that 26 East Volume 2 came out. He was on the show. And I know that he's taken the he's taking the pandemic extremely seriously. And I know he's he's he wants to get out on and do shows again when it's safe to do so. Have you guys talked about when that resumption of those shows might happen i'll say two things the first as you alluded to my stock phrase during this time has been that dennis is a germaphobe in the best of times you know? <laughs> and so this has been something that he's taken very seriously and it's been kind of a matter of kicking the can down the road with rescheduling canceling postponing whatever it may be mm -hmm. and those are decisions above my pay grade i know that he wants to get back out the band wants to play dennis his manager wants him to go out but it's just waiting for things to kind of, to, and I think we're, we're getting closer to that with, you know, mm -hmm. recent developments. I'm very, we're all thrilled about, but I would imagine it'll probably, you know, don't quote me on this, but I don't think it'll be any time before late fall. All right. So you're, you're based in California. Yes, correct. And it's funny because you've worked with a lot of Chicago guys, Dennis, uh, Robin Zander, Jim Peterick. Oh. How, how do you get, how do you keep getting involved with all these Chicago guys? Is it just, you, you work with one and then it leads to the others? That's often how it happens. Although the, the thing with Robin Zander, I, I don't want to overplay that. 
I worked with him, but we played together, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it was a very fortuitous moment for me where um, it was one of the, there was, a, there was something called, there was the ultimate jam night, which still exists here in LA. Mm -hmm. And this was in the early stages when it was being held at uh, Lucky Strike Bowling Alley. And I had family in town. This was late December as well. It's a good time for me, I think. And um, my wife was there with the kids and, and my, my brother was in town with his, his wife. And um, I had just played a couple songs. And then I said, you know, guys, it's late and I don't have anything else to play for two more hours. So if you guys want to, you know, it's not a big deal. I play in Dream Police. I played it seven times and, you know, I'll, I'll just see you guys in the morning when we get home. And I went to go, I was bowling with a friend of mine there. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, they come over and they're like, hey, um, would you mind playing Dream Police sooner? I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually, was, where's August? You got to get him to the stage. And somebody found me and, and they said, can you come to the stage now? I'm like, well, I've got my bowling shoes on now. Like, just can I put on my boots again first? <laughs> so I come back, what's going on? And, and there's Robin, you know, and they, were, and they were saying that he just got the phone call literally five minutes prior that they're being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Wow. And they were want to put this band together quickly to go up there and, and play. And so that's how that happened. And um, he was really, you know, he was very uh, accommodating and he was very kind to all of us that played the song with him and everything. But, that was, that was, it was a thrill, you know, and that's all over YouTube everywhere that, that it was kind of funny because, you know, they said, Robin, when they first started, they used to play in bowling alleys, you know, and here he is, mm -hmm. here I am in a bowling alley again, you know, getting to this recognition. Peterick thing just as a result of you know working with Dennis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can I tell a quick Jim story? Sure. You know I'm glad. I'm glad to. I'd be happy to hear a, a Jim Peterick story. I'm sure you know him or of him at least. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, uh, the first time I was at Dennis's, and uh, I think we had stayed after first show in Chicago. I stayed over. He he said, "Hey, you, yeah, I need to do some vocals on this next next record. We're going to do it over at Jim's place. You want to do it?" I said, "Of course." And um, so we, Dennis picks me up. We're going to go to Jim's house, which is about five minutes from Dennis. And, you know, we show up and I've got, a, you know, a t-shirt and sweats on. And Dennis has got his, you know, his typical Dennis weekend outfit on you know, and uh, casual to say the least. <laughs> and we're waiting in Jim's, in Jim's studio. And again, it's like, you know, 1030 in the morning. And now all of a sudden here comes Jim down the stairs and he's got, you know, uh, knee-high purple boots, <laughs> leather pants, you know, the purple hair with the purple sun sunglasses, a purple vest, you know, with chains everywhere and, and this really flashy shirt. And he's just coming down the stairs. I looked at him, I said, do you ever dress like this? And he just takes, my boy, why would I? <laughs> I just love it. He is so comfortable in his skin. He's so authentic and he, he's a rock star. I think yeah. he's a, He's great. And, <laughs> that's and that's awesome. And All right, so together as songwriters was amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. The I mean, those twenty six East albums are phenomenal. I I'm really I they really came out great. 
so you've worked with Dennis, you've been in Sticks tribute bands, you've been in Journey tribute bands, you've worked with Jim Peterick, who obviously Survivor. Is did that did a lot of that inform you your um, approach to songwriting, or was it just uh, an affinity for that era or that type of music? What all was involved in in crafting these eleven songs for this album? It's a great question. Thank you, and I think both of those aspects are at play. You know, I. I always think about the, the the golden age of music for me was about probably 76 to 80, roughly, where you had, for me, for me, it was Boston Sticks, Kansas, Foreigner, Journey. I'm leaving out a few, I'm sure, but those were the, the main ones. And mm-hmm. I mean, that is just brilliant music. And so that's kind of, I don't know, I also always say you are what you eat. And it's a lot of times we were basically, as musicians, we're, we're influenced by the, all that, that came before us. And that definitely informs your style. And it's sometimes you make choices unwittingly where you, you know, there's like other lawsuits where people have quoted other songs. And I don't think it's rarely intentional, but there's just so many notes out there, right? Yeah. But um, in, in terms of the songwriting for this album, it was uh, a lot of collaboration with Alessandro, Alessandro Del Vecchio, mm-hmm. who I think is possibly the most talented musician I've ever known. Uh, he plays every instrument known to man at a master level. And he sings great. He mixes, masters, produces. So Frontiers assigned him to me or put us together essentially um, because I had told them initially, I said they came to me about doing the solo record uh, in 2018 maybe. And I, I turned it down because I, I felt at that point, I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do as an artist, especially specifically with singing. I hadn't found, I couldn't decide who I wanted to be yet. And I didn't want to come out as a Tommy Shaw clone on record. I've been accused of that for years. It's just, I'm in that role. I'm doing a job. I love Tommy. I love Tommy's voice. Mm-hmm. I'm, you know, he's got a better, cleaner, higher voice than me. I'm just trying to do a job, you know, <laughs> it was just the most respect and passion that I can bring to that, that gig. Sure. But it was, I wanted to, you know, have my own voice and trying to come up with what that actually meant to me. But I, uh, I turned it down initially. And then when they came back towards the beginning of the pandemic, I said, yeah, let's, let's do this. I've got some time, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a, you know, a Zoom meeting with Alessandro and we went over things for about 45 minutes, everything from, you know, what, what songs do I have fully fleshed out? What snippets do I have? And I told Frontiers originally, I said, I'm not, I'll never tell you that I'm a great songwriter that will give you an idea from start to finish done. Um, I have s- several of those, but um, like a lot of guitar players, I'm more of a, well, here's a riff I have, or I've got this great intro and I don't know what to do with it. You help me piece these together. And that's where Al- Alessandro was in- instrumental, bad pun. And then he also has a gift for, he does a, he writes for a lot of the Frontiers acts and he's mm-hmm. a prolific writer. And he brought some things that were almost completely you know, written for me. He's got a knack for knowing what works best for different artists. And he brought some things to me that then we ended up collaborating on and changing around. And uh, it was a great process, but it was really, you know, I'll give you one example. Um, the song, Take My Hand. Looking back, I got no regrets. I learned to right the wrongs. And as I look into my children's eyes, I feel I finally know. Memories of the laughter and the pain 
that's one that I had written start to finish completely, but I didn't have lyrics or melody for. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's also the song that Dennis played a keyboard solo on for me, yeah. which is really cool. That was a thrill because, as you mentioned, I, I played on his records, but to have him play on mine was, I thought that, that was a, a big moment for me. But on that song specifically, it was one where Alessandro came back to me with lyrics. And I didn't, I didn't like them. They were too dark. And Jeff Soto is a big friend, a big influencer, big collaborator, contributor to this and a great friend of mine. And that was really the one that brought me to Frontiers in the first place. But he was asking me how things going with this. And I said, well, I've only got a couple left to sing. And I've got this one that I just, I'm not happy with you know, the, you know, the lyrical content. He's like, brother, I got you, don't worry. Send me what you got. And I sent him you know, the backing tracks, I sent him the existing lyrics and the melody was the important thing. And you know, within 24 hours, he kicked something back to me that was pretty much perfect. And I changed out four lines, I think, in, in each of the two verses. And then uh, we ran with the ball. Uh, wow. So it was a lot of collaboration. Yeah. I think because of the type of music that I like, I run into a lot of artists from the Frontiers label that are on the Frontiers label. I've spoken to many artists that are on Frontiers and mm -hmm. I've come across the name Alessandro Del Vecchio many times. I probably should have him on the show. You um, should. So they approached you in 2018, you turned it down. When did the, uh, when did you sort of work on specifically on this album? Cause you'd probably sketch some things out before. When did specific work specific to this album start for you? That was one of the things I had intended to actually document this weekend and because it always gets asked and I don't I don't know the answer, but I know that it was probably May of 2020 would be my closest guess. Okay, so we're in the pandemic. There's probably yeah. in May, I'm guessing, still a, a lockdown going on in a lot of places. Correct. So, so a I lot had... of artists are at home trying to write because you can't go out and tour. You can't, you know, you can't okay. go out and earn bread that way. So you're trying to, you know, work on stuff at home and and you've actually done some things on your Facebook page. You've gotten, what is it like every Friday you go on and, and play some music. Thanks for mentioning that. And that's, I want to go back to also um, the very first sound you hear on this album on the song Come Together is me singing with Jeff and Alessandro doing this big ah sound. Mm -hmm. That kind of is the backtrack for that whole that first song. And this Friday night gig that I've been doing for this past Friday was my 89th week. It's called Awe. It's called the Acoustic Happy Hour Hang. And I started this, I think the third week of March, 2020. I just, we had a bunch of shows canceled and I went on vacation to, to Cabo with my family and came back and just within a couple of days, I'm getting itchy, you know, it's like, I got to play. And so I told my wife, I said, let's, you know, I'll sit in my studio with a stool and acoustic guitar. I'm wearing sweats. It was so casual, right? Like, it's just, I need to play and people need some entertainment, right? So First time I did, there's like 400 people tuned in. And this is insane. <laughs> what happened, it was really an amazing, an amazing experience, has been an American amazing experience. It's created this little community of people that, you know, it's kept people together and, and given them a little community that's, they can tune in from all over the world. We've got people coming in on Friday nights and it's a little more production value now, but I never wanted to make it a show. It's, it's as if, you know, Michael, if you were here at my house on Friday, we'd, hey, let's go over, grab a guitar, we'll sit on the couch and play some songs. And if you've seen it, you know, I make mistakes, I start over, I, it's, it's very loose, but it's very casual. And yeah. I think that's the charm of it. And you're in my living room for two years almost now. Yeah, you're not doing a concert, you're doing 
you're just sitting around and having a hang like you yes. it's right there in the title exactly yeah it's great and it's, it's uh, a lot it's, of fun it's something a lot of people needed too because i don't think i realized how badly i missed live music until it wasn't there yeah. and you know because it always seems like i think probably i only average about five or six shows a year but those are important parts of my year those are those nights when i actually get to go out and and you know turn back time you know sort of step into the time machine and and see a band like you know journey or sticks playing the classics and, and that kind Absolutely. of thing or or catching a new band coming up which is very exciting as well so uh that's a very cool thing that you do and and and, and i think that is more endearing that you don't try to make it like some big flashy pseudo uh stand-in for a live show it's just hanging out and it's free so yeah that's the other thing it's a great community and i like what you mentioned also about you know anyone in our demographic you know age-wise it's it's or any age really i think it's about nostalgia for the it's so important that that music that you i think it was paul stanley back to our kiss thing i think he said that the music you listen to when you're either 15 or 16 is what stays with you forever and it's a blessing slash curse for, you know all these you know the legacy bands they they want to keep writing new material but no one wants it's not i shouldn't say no one but as a generality you know if you go to a, see a, one of these classic bands and here's a song from our new album and half the audience goes to the bathroom it's like we only want the hits and it's yeah it's a, it's a difficult situation it is it's tough it's like because a guy like me like when a new a new album comes out from a band that i love i can't wait i'm excited about it and i want to i'd like to see those songs perform too but i mean if a band has been around for 40 years if you put a new song in you have to take an old song out and it's it's really a, a catch-22 situation and and yeah. Yeah. and i i understand why there are some bands that rarely play any of their new stuff and and other bands just say hey to heck with it we're gonna we're gonna play our new stuff and and hopefully people will like it if we just keep doing it and yeah. and yeah. so there's i don't think there's a really a good correct answer but the other thing about it too is that the legacy bands they were all over the radio in their day then they became classic rock and they were on the classic rock stations but then when they put a new album out none of the new music <laughs> stations are playing the legacy bands new music right it doesn't fit anywhere it's not classic because it hasn't been around for a while and it doesn't fit with the new format and i think that's part of it you know like frontiers said recently just am i talking with one of the guys here and they said well no one really knows what to do right now and you know it's like we're looking all looking for that magic bullet you know how do you how do you re-engage those people that that have been your fans for all this time to to want to to allow you to keep creating new music that they'll embrace and uh, the other thing i wanted to another shameless plug in that first song which is called come together that i end up rewriting the that's one i wrote actually about six years ago all the music for and dennis had been looking for something new to open the shows with because uh, we always use the grand illusion mm -hmm. and um, i thought i want to write something that's really short about a minute and a half long uh, all major chords, triumphant sounding, you know, I could have trumpets, it's, and it's with big harmonies. And so I sketched it out, I have a demo of this song and brought it, brought it in. And I think Dennis listened to it for like, you know, eight seconds was like, yeah, that's fine. I didn't really, didn't connect with him. But I really felt, you know, I, I was invested in it myself. And this, uh, I'd recorded all the music. And then I think two nights before I was going to record the vocals, 
I rewrote all the, rewrote the whole thing, and uh, it became about the pandemic and the importance of music and how it's going to. The idea of it's kind of once we've gotten through it, this is kind of the from viewed under that through that lens. Mm -hmm. But the main line is that music will heal what isolation has destroyed, and I think we all need music to kind of be that conduit to connectiveness. Yeah, I found um, myself getting a little more teary-eyed in at shows lately than I did, uh, you know, just before the pandemic, because it's like, this is, this has been missing from my life and it's, it's so important. And, and it, I didn't even realize how, how important I was until then, but cause I'm always, I've always got music going and, uh, but getting out and seeing it live is, is still the pinnacle really. It's, it's, it's you can't replace that experience. Uh, and that's and, and a lot of times if you if you are seeing legacy bands it takes you right back to the first time that you saw them you know when when they were still you know they still had all their hair <laughs> they were <laughs> they were sex symbols they were on the covers of magazines and that kind of thing yep. so you you mentioned finding your voice as a vocalist and i had that question in mind is that you know everybody has to be themselves uh on records and so Mike, not that you try to mimic anybody, but who influences you as a vocalist? Like who, who do you, there's, there's always people that it's like, there's an approach to singing vocal melodies and, and so everybody kind of does it differently. Who, who kind of inspires you? Great question. Thank you. And I think it goes back to, um, there's a lot of singers like from that, like that golden age I mentioned, you never ever saw all the guys in the late seventies and, and throughout the eighties, y'all sang so dang high. <laughs> and uh, so um, there was a lot of singers who I love. Let's just say Brad Delp, Steve Perry. Like mm. I knew I could never sing that high, even though yeah. I really admired what they do. Rick Emmett, another favorite of mine, but for things that were more relatable to me, um, it was kind of Lou Graham, Steve Walsh. And I love Jolyn Turner. Um, so that's, that's kind of, I had a big three. I think that might be it. Wow. You're checking um, all the, the boxes that I like. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and how about as a guitarist? So tell me about your guitar beginnings and, and, and sort of what inspired you to get into the guitar and, and who did you take your cues from? We mentioned, uh, or I mentioned uh, Peter Frampton earlier as being one of their early ones. I would, uh, in fact, I remember being a kid, you know, with Frampton comes alive on and just seeing that picture of him on the cover. And I have a tennis racket. It's the totally cliche being bouncing on the couch with a tennis racket. But um, I was, uh, as I grew up in Alaska and as a you know, 10 to 15 year old, I was ahead of the game in terms of pitching ability. And at one point I thought I want to be a professional baseball player. And I was, you know, I was the starting and losing pitcher for the, uh, the all-star team two years in a row. Uh, but I started having problems with my arm, my, my right elbow. And it was because the coach, one of the coaches had had, had started me throwing curveballs too early. Mm. And so I went to the doctor with my mom and, and they said, oh, you've fractured a growth center in your elbow and you, you shouldn't throw, you shouldn't pitch anymore. You shouldn't throw very often. And um, my, my mom said, well, what, what should he do now? It's kind of like innocently. And he goes, oh, I want you to play guitar. Boom. <laughs> and I wish I knew who that doctor was to thank him. And, and you know, there were times where you know, my mom would have over the years was, Oh, your life changed 180 degrees that day, and she wasn't happy about it. But you know, it turned out to not be a phase. So, and yeah. we're, we're everything's good. But um, initially, I'd say it was Ace Freely, you know, and you could, you know, I would be with friends, and you would just plug it into some amp and just 
basically playing air guitar, but holding it, didn't know what you were doing. Also, you might hit something that sounded, hey, this is, you know, it was, it was very innocent and very organic in the beginning. And I went from being a huge Kiss fan and then a buddy of mine said, oh, well, that's nice. Why don't you listen to this? And he gave me a Rush cassette. And I thought, I think it was, might've been either Farewell to Kings or Caress of Steel. I can't remember which album it was. And I thought, I, you know, hit play on, on the cassette. And I was just Getty Lee screeching vocal. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I can't do that. You know, six months later, they were my favorite band. And I think Alex Lifeson is a tremendous, you know, he's a tremendous player, songwriter. And his chord voicings are the thing I really took away. He's just, he writes, he's just a great writer. But, um, and I think I've said this many times that I don't think it's a, Eddie Van Halen was not a huge influence on me directly, but I think anybody who doesn't acknowledge his impact on their playing, that's come out in the last 40 years, they're lying. <laughs> I mean, he was, he was great. I was very into Randy Rhodes. I was into Gary Moore, um, George Lynch. And then it went, and then by the time Ingve came out, I was mind blown and I, I tried, I had to come to terms with the fact I would never be playing at that level, not for lack of trying. <laughs> yeah. But uh, those are kind of uh, the guys that, again, back to your art you eat and that, that comes out and I can listen to this album that I just did, you know, the, the Guiding Star record. And if I'm with guitar player friends of mine, I'm like, what do you hear there? What do you hear? I can play spot the influence. It's like, oh, there's John Sykes, you know, there's this. It's like, it's kind of, it's fun. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I was just talking, we had a, our last show, we did a sort of look back at Journey's Escape album. And we had the, Love it. the big story about how Neil Schoen came in with this killer guitar solo that he was so proud of for the uh, end of Who's Crying Now. And mm -hmm. the band said, eh, it's a little busy, just yeah. something simpler. And so he did, the, he said he did the dumbest, simplest thing he could think of. And it became this iconic solo that people right? rip off all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. And I'm glad you brought up Ace. I just finally, I got to see Ace in October open up for Alice Cooper. I I saw him in 96 when Kiss reunion uh, happened, but um, uh, that was a good time to, to see him uh, do his solo cool. stuff, get to see some of his, his, some of the old Kiss classics and some of the Ace stuff. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah. So the album... Uh, it's, it's yourself on vocals, backing vocals, and guitars. Uh, Jeff Scott Soto, you mentioned him, um, a phenomenal vocalist. He does backing vocals Lovely. on all the songs except Come Back to Me, I believe. Correct. Uh, Alessandro does uh, bass, keyboards, backing vocals, rhythm guitars. Um, Jelly uh, Cartarelli on drums. Great drummer, by the way. Uh, I've got, I definitely have a, a, a highlight of, of his that I like on here. Um, Dennis DeYoung, uh, solo on Take My Hand, and then there's a few others. You have uh, Andrea Seveso with some rhythm guitars, uh, Martin Jepson Anderson on some rhythm guitars, and Guillermo DiMedio, and Pete Alpenborg, and Jan Akison, all on uh, various keyboards. Yes, and those, the last five guys you mentioned are all kind of, those are guys I've never met. I've, one of them I've been on the Zoom calls with, but four of them um, the frontiers all-stars is that who they yeah, are they're, they're, they're people that are kind of in alessandro's orbit and he he's got quite the i guess the stable to, to draw from yeah and, uh, uh so the the album opener come together you, you just mentioned it this big uh, sort of a short opening piece but a, a very soaring uh harmony vocal uh uplifting thing ah! 
how many of those voices are yours? Like how much doubling and tripling and, and how many layers are there here? <laughs> um, well, the lead vocal is, is just me, but of course, mm -hmm. but um, the backing vocals, it's, uh, it's a three-part harmony, but I think that we, we each sang each part so that there's essentially nine, it's a three-part harmony with nine voices. Okay. And then there's the section that people who haven't heard this won't know what I'm talking about, but you know, at, this, at the very end where it kind of is this tribal thing where it's kind of parts are changing here and there and bouncing around the stereo field. Love that part. And um, that, it was funny because again, we all did the same parts and Alessandro kind of pieced it together who he, what he thought fit best. But uh, at the end, he and Jeff, there's a high A flat at the very end. <laughs> and um, I'm like, I, I said, oh, that's cute. Both you girls hit the A flat. So I hit a B above you. And, and then when the album came out and he sent me the, the, the finals, I'm like, he didn't take, he didn't put that in there. <laughs> but um, it's one of those things too. To hear somebody hitting a B note, it's, it's not a, Dennis would say, just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, track two, Nothing More to Say, is a, a bit of a mid-tempo song with a really, I thought, a, a very emotional vocal performance, some good atmospheric layers. secret to creating melodic rock with a lot going on that still has some space if i could answer that question i wouldn't because i'd keep that to myself <laughs> <laughs> but i mean you did it here on this song i think uh i think a lot of it comes down to like you mentioned uh, the emotional impact of the vocal it's it's about passion i think and uh then also going back to um the end of who's crying now we said the, the guys will say well, undoubtedly what Neil played was brilliant, but it's it's more, it's paring it down to let's find that five number. Everybody can hum that. So a lot of it is having things that everybody tends to, especially younger players, and that's again a generality. Look what I can do, play a million notes or sing so high. And it's mm -hmm. it's so it comes down to people appreciate virtuosity, but it it also it's a if it speaks. You can speak to a larger audience by not dumbing it down, but making it more accessible, I think, and just making it more about the performance and the emotional connection than perhaps the the prowess, if you will. But yeah, well, I would say that like David Gilmore says more with one or two notes than most guitarists say with 80. Yes. And uh, funny you mentioned him because on this this song, Nothing More to Say, 
it, it began with, the, I'm selling as soon as down me, boom, I'm selling some bluesy noodling thing. I'm, and in my head, I'm going, I'm going for David Gilmore light. And the same thing at the end, there's actually, there's something there where I'm, I did a thing like a behind the music recently on the, one of my Friday night things. And there's a lick there at the end, which is a direct quote from, uh, you know, brick in the wall solo. And um, like, well, you know, he doesn't own those two notes, but anyone who's heard that would know that's exactly what he would <laughs> But uh, my point was going to be, sorry, that, um, so I just, I noodle all over the, this thing, the front and the back of the song. And then Alessandro in the production role was like, cut that out, cut that out. And so when he sent it back to me, the first mix, I'm like, well, where's the, where's the guitar? He said, well, it doesn't need it there. Yeah, let's, let's set up the vibe of the song. We'll bring you in on bar three rather than bar one. Let, let it breathe for a second. And those are things where, you know, having someone else to collaborate with or producer that can uh, bring another opinion and make executive decisions in this case that were smarter than what I would have done on my own. Yeah, that's, it's, I think it's such an underrated thing to find somebody who has an ear for what to take out that's not the song like everything could be this it's the same thing i think in writing it's like i think it was stephen king that says your first draft just write your first draft of the story and then when you go back over it for your first edit take out everything that's not the story i like that yeah so um yeah that's I'm probably picking up on some of that atmospheric um that pink floyd or, or david gilmore influence there because there is some there's some very nice space even though there are a lot of things going on in the song so it's, it's very cool um going to ship of fools the third song this is one of my favorite songs on the album and i think it's because of the the end of the guitar solo you've got the doubled guitars in the back end of the solo sort of um, inspired that Michael Schenker <laughs> in fact I I that's exactly what I was feeling on this song was a Schenker vibe and uh I, I love him I, I failed to mention him earlier as an influence but definitely it's there because he's the king of melody he's I mean the, he and Neil a lot of in a similar way have chops for days and they can play as super fast technical things but they also have a great ear for melody but um I it would have been too far to use a Wawa pedal on that one, too, too Michaelish, but that's where I was going for sure. And then the song uh, track four, "Come Back to Me." This is sort of uh, I I feel like it's a journey esque song, but it's got it's got some tempo changes for the guitar solo. And this song for me was uh, Jelly's best drumming. I, I thought Jelly really sh shined; his drumming really shined on this song. I agree a hundred percent. And it was shocking to me that you know. I, Everyone's got an opinion, right? But I saw somewhere online someone had said, oh, and the sloppy drumming ruins this song. I thought, 
Are you kidding me? Yeah, I think he's he's a beast. Uh, yeah, kid, definitely. I I liked it. I I thought it really added something unique to the song. One of my favorite guitar solos on the album happens on Escape the Rain. Uh, to me, this sounded, I, I heard some, sounded like some Jim Peterick Survivor influence on this song. Interesting. Okay. Because um, that one, guitar, from a guitar point of view, I would say that was probably a Warren D. Martini from Rat coming out in, or mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the vibe I was, I, I remember I'd have been. I have a couple of friends who have these guitar geek, you know, emails all the time. And we had been talking about some old George Lynch and Warren stuff around the time I was recording that. Mm -hmm. I said, it might have sneaked in there, but <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I want to I want to clarify. I don't mean that the solo reminded me of Survivor. I think the overall right. uh, sort of tone of the, song. of the song. Yeah. Behind you, create your fate. Learn to love again without any fear. Let me take you away. Dreams will live again. Let me take your hand. Together we can escape the And it's it's another one, you know. There's uh, this one. I'm kind of glancing over at the album songs here. You know, escape the rain, come together, escape the rain, rise from the fire. These are all kind of you know, they're you know. It's I want. It was important to me uh, to be. I'm not a you know a dark person by any stretch of the imagination, and I wanted to have stuff that was you know not motivational so, so to speak, but just at least inspiring and encouraging and uplifting. Yeah, so there's there's back to uh, the song "Take My Hand," where as a generality, you say that um, major key is happy, minor key is sad, and that song "Take My Hand," I wrote. It's in the key of D minor, which, if you're a Spinal Tap fan, is the saddest of all keys. Saddest of all keys. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> I wrote that specifically because we had a neighbor that was we found out was going to be moving, and my wife was so bummed out. And I said, "I'll write a song in D minor." And I, I came out, you know, five minutes later with the three chords that basically you know, the bulk of the, the, the verses. And um, where am I going with this? Is that, oh, so, but I didn't have any lyrics. I just knew it was going to be a, 
you know, at least contemplative, not sad or dark. Mm-hmm. So when Alessandro only had the music I gave him, he didn't know anything about where I wanted the song to go. And he came back with these lyrics again that were too dark for me. I think I got off subject there. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's um, all right. No, I, I'm fascinated listening. Uh, um, but yeah, so Escape the Rain uh, then goes into uh, track six as a matter of yesterday. This is a bit of a power ballad, but not like one of the cheesy type of, uh, of like hair metal uh, power ballads. a power ballad guy back in the day were you were you uh, you know slow dancing with the with the ladies uh, to the power ballads back then you would never see me on a dance floor <laughs> <laughs> um it's funny the power ballad right it's a concept in that and it's you know you can argue about who did it first or who did it best whatever but everyone had to have one back then uh this song makes me i'm glad you brought it up because when we're talking about guest the guest musicians we left out and i made a note and forgot Jimmy Leahy, my dear friend from the Dennis Young band. Okay. He, I sent this to him with some basically what we call cowboy chords. Here's the sketch of the, the, the guitar parts. And he, Jimmy's one of the greatest acoustic players in, on the planet in my mind. And I said, take this ball and run with it. And he did a masterful job. I, he actually came up with a, a new tuning to create one of the voicings on the song to match the keyboards better. He's just brilliant. And what he brought to this, it kind of gave it uh, almost a folksy minstrel kind of vibe. Yeah, it's very cool. And it's one that, again, who who am I going to be as a singer? This is a song that the first time I sang it, there was, I should make this point too. Uh, I did all the vocals on the album at home, except for all of Nothing More to Say and bits of A Matter of Yesterday. Because so I did A Matter of Yesterday at my buddy Andy Zuckerman's place, who He's a producer friend of mine that I've known for years, mm-hmm. engineer. And uh, he sent me home with a mix that night. And I was driving on the way home. I got home until my wife said, she goes, how'd it go? I said, I hate it. I don't hate it, but I just, I sound like a guy doing bad Broadway. It just, it's like, I couldn't get into it. I couldn't, I, it was at a, at a register for me where I couldn't get screamy and give it any energy. And, but I didn't, so it, it was hard for me to project in a way I wanted to. And then I sound like I was just like, <laughs> and I just was so, you know, it just wasn't me. And I, we did several songs to, after that. And I went back and said, I, I got a better feel for this now. And I want to do it again. We kept some of it and it's still not exactly how I would like it, but at least I can hear it now and not, not cringe. <laughs> <laughs> do you envision yourself maybe changing that if you do it live somewhere down yes. the road? Yeah. yeah. You already got in your mind where you're going to go with that next. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's great. And another thing on that one, like we talked about, you know, influences and whatnot, specifically on that song, when uh, we're doing playback and, and my buddy Andy's like, you know, let me listen. And, and he just saw my face. He goes, what's the matter? And I said, man, you just kind of want to hear your heroes. I was thinking Jolene Turner on this song, right? And I said, I hear Cher on this line and I hear <laughs> Tina Turner on this. No, I said, I hear Cher on this line. And he goes, well, I hear Tina Turner on this one. That's, that's better. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man. So you, we already, we've already discussed uh, a little bit. You know, the surprise is gone. Take my hand. An incredible yeah, Dennis DeYoung solo on this. And it's one of those things where if you just had the song on, you didn't know who did it. You would hear that solo and you would go, that sounds like Dennis DeYoung. So I wanted to ask you about your approaching Dennis to give you a keyboard solo for this. What what made you think of Dennis for this song? What uh, you know? How did that conversation go? We actually, Alessandro, I'd given him the demo, and when he sent it back to me, he had put a keyboard solo on it, and it was great. But I was thinking all along, like, well, I get Dennis to do this, right? And so it happened that Dennis called me for something unrelated, and while we're on the phone, I'm kind of working up my courage towards the end, right? I say, hey, you know. Um, I'm in the middle of this recording project and I said, uh, what, what, what's your rate for doing a backing vocal or maybe even a keyboard solo? And he said, you know, without hesitation, he said, August, we'll take it out of the money you didn't make playing for me this year because it hadn't worked. Mm -hmm. And he said, send me the files. So, um, you know, and that's how we all work nowadays. It's you record from home and you, you send session files to somebody else and you can work remotely like that, yeah. which, I had to, to explain to my family that this past weekend, my sister's mind was blown. She's like, oh, I thought Dennis flew to your house and well, you, you met in the studio someplace and, and he put these keyboards for you. I'm like, no, it was all in the comfort of his home studio. <laughs> but um, so he said, yes, I'll do it. Send me the files. And I sent it to him and kind of try to make a longer story shorter. It took a long time for him to get it done. And I kept saying, you know, Dennis, how's it going with that solo? And he goes, all right, I'll, get, I'll get to you, I'll get to you. And finally, Frontier says, What's going on with this? You know, what, what's happening with this one song? It's the last song. I said, well, yeah, I've got a guest soloist on it. And they're like, well, who is it? I said, well, it's Dennis. Like, oh, well, take your time. <laughs> you know. But uh, then it came down to there's a deadline involved. And they said, if you want the record to come out in 2021, we have to have it by, I think it was August 1st, maybe. But so I, I said, call Dennis and say, hey, I, I really need to, you know, get you to finish this up for me. I'm on it. Don't worry didn't get it for like another week and it turned out to be a blessing because in the bigger picture 
Frontier said if it had come out, they were they were scheduling it for like mid December originally. They said it would have got lost in the holiday shuffle and every, mm-hmm. no one's paying attention that time of year. This way we'll schedule it for middle of February. It's got a much better chance of getting noticed. And when he finally gave it back to me, first thing he said was, "Well, it sounds like me. I hope you like it." Like, and it does. You said it right away. You, you, you go, "Is that is that an old stick song?" It's definitely Dennis playing keys, right? Yeah, I, you know, when I, I, my first listen to the files that, um, that I got um, from the PR group there, I was, I was just listening to, I hadn't really read through the press release and I knew, but I had scanned it. And so I knew Dennis DeYoung played somewhere on it. And, and I was like, I haven't even heard it. I haven't heard Dennis. And then that came on and I was like, there he is. There he is right there. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's really a tremendous, um, I mean, it's Dennis DeYoung. Of course, it's going to yeah. be great. So, yeah. um, and it's just perfect for the song. Uh, and I think also um, Jeff Scott Soto throughout this album has been tremendous on, on backing vocals. I think the vocals on the, the song are, are really well done as well. Thank you. I, Jeff is a phenomenal vocalist. And, you know, I sang backing vocals for several of his records over the last few years. And take, when we work together, his voice is so big and round and mine is more piercing on top. So he would say, come on over and just, you had this little sheen on top of what I've got going. And so I, he had offered, he goes, he was so helpful to me with putting this thing together. Mm-hmm. But he said, I'll sing all the backing vocals for you, whatever you want to do. And um, so between he and Alessandro and I singing all the vocals and then Alessandro mixing them together, it sounds big. And that was important to me. One of the goals was to have an emphasis on vocal harmony. But on this track specifically, there's points I'm like, am I in there? Jeff's voice is so big, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. I, I've, I've heard Jeff do work with Inglorious and some other projects mm-hmm. that he's done, some duets. And it's, it is, I mean, he's got this great ability to actually pull it back when he wants to and, and, yeah. Just, yeah. and just be the support that the lead vocal needs. And it just really blends and works really well and it's yeah it's i think a, a testament to just what a what a just his feel for what a song yeah. needs yeah. he's just he's great he's got uh, great ears uh, fun fact is he's got perfect pitch and he plays keyboards very well really yeah. i did not know that about him it surprised a lot of people so we're getting toward the back end of the album here. You got Take My Hand, uh, then Dream of You, which is sort of a, a mid-tempo ballad. Um, another another solid song. And then uh, one that I really wanted to um, go back and ask you about because I forgot it is uh, I'll Meet You in Heaven is, is a strong song vocally, but it's good chorus. But I wondered, I wanted to know who, who are you going to meet in heaven? What is, is this your lyric or is it someone else's? It's mine. And do you really want to know? I it do. Might, it might spoil the song. <laughs> no, no, I want to know. It's it adds another layer, and and um, it's about my dog. <laughs> I had a, you know, I had a feeling, but because it's not, it's not a sad song. It's a song about a, an eventual reunion, and yeah. it doesn't come off as um as you know a, like a romantic interest. Right. I'm, I'm glad I think that I think that, that comes through in the in, you know when when you listen to the song that it's so I wondered if it was maybe you know a mentor or somebody that you you know yeah that's a that kind of thing sense as well and you know, the kind of the goal with things like that is to you know, it's you again trying to have somewhat of a universal appeal but not make it sappy it would be too easy to say oh I'll meet you in heaven that's he's singing about his his lover or you know that kind of thing and 
It's like, and the, the giveaway to people who know me and, and been in the house with our dog is the, she had this wicked snaggle tooth and it and starts with your crooked little smile. And, and again, actually this is a lot of it was Jeff's influence because originally it, it was sappy. It was more about a, a you know, man woman relationship. But then I said, not really, I don't really like where this is going really. And he said that he had written a song years ago that, that everyone thought was about a woman, but it was about a pet. And so I went, oh, I can make that work. like the song shannon i don't know if you're familiar with that shannon. it was uh uh it's like a, it was a ballad i think the guy's name was henry gross maybe oh that rings a bell and it was it was this beautiful song i i listened to it for years before i knew it was about a dog <laughs> i'm gonna write that down to look up <laughs> yeah it's it's tr it's a terrific song it's uh um, henry gross harry Gro i remember that I, thought, I think it's i think it's henry but i, I it's been so long it could be I could be getting that wrong, but the, the name of the song is Shannon. I'm sure it's all over YouTube and it's probably right. on, on all the streaming sites. But um, yeah, I did had no idea that it was about, uh, a, you know, a pet until years after I'd been listening to it. So it's uh, it's funny that uh, that you wrote it about a dog. This is great. <laughs> and I'm going to try to get one. I have a friend who does a lot of video editing stuff, and I thought maybe I'd he made a video for me when our dog had passed. And it's it, it's gut-wrenching you know but uh i thought if we could i don't know how long it was but it seemed like it it'd be too you know coincidental if it was like the length of the song but if i get it to edit down and and do like a lyric video and put it up and but in a way I don't want to give it away either let people yeah. think whatever they want to think so yeah that's the that's the truth sorry didn't mean to out the rest of the story <laughs> didn't mean to out the the secret but yeah, uh, yeah i appreciate the the honest answer that's great sure. won't let uh, won't let your love take me down we get back to the rocking stuff, uh, yeah, up-tempo, uh, rocker, guitar-heavy, good crunchy riff.
Tell me about the genesis of that. Where did that riff come from? That riff came from me sitting in my room with the uh, fairly new Fractal AX8 that I had. And a lot of times a new piece of gear will inspire, you know, a, a riff or, and I just, and what I do a lot is uh, whether it's acoustic guitar, a lot of it's on acoustic. Some of it's just me in the car singing melodies. The iPhone's always there with the voice, you know, the voice memo function. And I would, I remember I had that exact riff, and I threw it down and I sent it to a buddy of mine who's always my, my first go-to for, hey, what do you think of this, you know? And it was more of a, a tone check at the time. It's like, I like this sound and it made me play this riff. And I like this. And he's like, you got to flesh that thing out. That's, that's killer. And, um, and it was just called, uh, I remember I, on my sound file, I think it was just called uh, F sharp rock riff, you know, but, but it, it's a, it's a good one. I, I like that one. And sounds like something you find in a, in a sound library. Right. right. <laughs> uh, the album closer rise from the fire. It sounds to me, I hear some Jim Peterick writing influence in this song. I don't know if there is any, or if it's just in my imagination, having you know known that you had worked with Jim, but um, it does sound like it's influenced by by Jim's sort of writing style. It could be subliminal. <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it's direct, but um, I was thinking more um, for for me more of a Toto vibe almost, you know. But um, okay, yeah, you might not hear that. That's that's how it's all subjective. I can yeah, I can see it. I, I mean, I you know when, now that now that you mentioned it, because when you're listening to these songs, you just form, you just writing sort of the things, note, making notes. The first thing that kind of yeah, comes to yeah. your to your head, and being that it's AOR um, stylistically, that's going to lend itself really to sounding like Jim Peter because that's a lot of what he writes. Yeah, he's. And I'll take it as a compliment to And he's, he's really good at it. Writer. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'll throw this in there too, that uh, while we're you know, back to spot the influences and you mentioned Neil already, he's, he's a huge influence. I think I might've left that out earlier, but this is the song where I'm like, nobody thinks that sounds like Neil. I mean, really? <laughs> the solo to me, it sound, it's, it was Neil coming out. It wasn't like, mm -hmm. I'm going to play a solo like I think Neil would, but definitely I can hear it in there. And when I listen to this album, to me, it sounds like if a lot of time and, not, and the solos kind of vary a bit, but mm -hmm. the, the, the melodies and the styles of the songs to me comes off a lot of times like journey and survivor had a baby. I and, love that. Yeah. I love child. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and to me, that's, that's really hits a sweet spot for me because that's, that's, uh, I love, you know, melodic guitar based rock with some keyboards in it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those uh, uh, keyboard phobic, you know, rocker types. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's, it's, you know, I went through a period, you know, in, in the 80s where it's like, oh, it'd be guitar all the time, you know, but um, for some of this, like, go back to, uh, you know, nothing more to say where it's, it's all texture. It's it, the, the keys are integral mm -hmm. and you have to be willing to, to go there, I think.
yeah. it's too limiting not to how cool is it that there's a vinyl version on the frontiers website that you can buy do you mean this i do that is <laughs> it is so cool it's white vinyl right i i, I had it right there just to have the, the song titles available to, but uh <laughs> while we're at it it's so sexy in white <laughs> i think white yeah. might be my favorite color vinyl well when they came to me they asked about you know do you want to do a vinyl pressing i'm like yeah and then there was a choice of i think nine different colors i'm like i'll go with white i always like to go you know i think it would stand out and and then um an interview i did with someone last week they uh we were talking about alessandra and he said yeah he just sent me their his newest record and it's on white vinyl i'm like dang it <laughs> i didn't know that uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It looks cool. i think it's because maybe because i grew up with just regular old black Sure. It's the inverse, you know, it's the negative. And I think it just looks really sharp on the turntable. Um, some of the, some of the, they, they're doing all kinds of crazy things with vinyl nowadays. And some of the transparent colors don't quite look that good, especially where, when they're sitting on the, on the turntable, you're getting the, the matte kind of oh, visible yeah. through I... the translucent. And some of those don't look that great, but the like a, a good solid color, like a red or a white looks really sharp. So, but I mean, you grew up in, and you listened to music in the seventies, you had records. How cool is it seeing a record with your name right there on it like that? It's, it's absolutely a thrill brother. It, it really is. And I'm going to, I don't have it, haven't done it yet, but I'm going to frame one and put it on the wall, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I've crazy. had already, you know, fans have sent me, and drinking glasses with the album cover on a t-shirt there's all kinds of stuff i got wine bottles with it on there a banner over here it's, it's been it's been fun and i should say something quickly too about that album cover um frontiers has an art department there's the guy's name is nello that did most of this and just took ideas i threw at him and just did a, a brilliant job and um but i came back with the, I don't know if you've seen the, the Northern Lights or where it's on the feature on the, on the album cover too. I'm from Alaska, so I wanted to have that little tip of the hat. Or, oh, that's nice. Out of that. And I think it turned out really cool. Yeah, I like the album cover quite a bit. I, I, those guys they do such a great job. They're, they they put out a really good product, good packaging. Uh, they I think they take um, a great deal of care with the artists in in getting getting things as, as close to perfect as they can. And, and then, like you said, throw it out there yeah you know, it's like fishing you know some days you're going to get a bite some days you're not going to get you know depending That's on what bait you're net. using yeah, yeah so so i hope that it does very well for you are you getting good feedback so far it's only been a few weeks it's just it was two weeks on friday and uh the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive and it's it's just it's, it's so gratifying you know whether people say you know it's fun to also to play the game you know what, what was your favorite song and i'm actually surprised honestly that you mentioned uh, Ship of Fools being one of your favorites. And to me, and I hate to say this almost, but that one felt to me like the most, well, this is a pretty just straightforward rock song. It doesn't break any new ground. It's not trying to. And and it's a lot of people are saying that was their favorite. <laughs> so I'm like, you never know. And it's great. I think it's the solo. I think it's the doubled solo. I think it just sounds really, really great. It's, you know, the, the solo is going along and it's, it's, it's a good solo, but it's, you know nothing you've, you've heard solos like that before and then that second guitar kicks in and you're like wow it just kind of takes it to a new place I, I think it's that's probably part of it um a lot of us grew up with those ace fraley solos you know so we're we're listening for it <laughs> i'm never afraid to play a you know an, an ace like either I mean, 
Yeah, I think I think it's very strong. I, I mean, I could see on any given day any of the songs being my favorite. I love the way that you started the album with that that short piece. Um, it's very it's it it makes you take notice of the album immediately. It's not something you're expecting. Great, great, and it was important to me also that it's kind of the way it ties the first song and the last song. You know, come together kind of sets the tone, and then rises from the fire kind of brings it back full circle with it being uplifting so what have you learned from the this process of making your first solo record not to not to rush you into the next one but anything that you've learned that you've made mental notes going forward that you're thinking okay if i do another one of these these are the things that i'm going to do differently or or i've i've these are the things that i've narrowed down the process to doing this because i've i've trial and errored these other things oh god yes i mean and <laughs> Um, I've done a, a fair share of recording over the last 30 years, but it's always never been, I've never been the engineer on it and it's always had someone else in the room. And usually you're looking over someone's back while they're, you know, remaining in the console or whatnot. I've never really, and it's to my detriment, never tried to learn as much about the other side of the, you know, about the actual recording process of it. Um, and so my first call with Alessandro, he was guiding me from the very beginning on, well, here's the bare minimum stuff you need to buy to set up a home studio. And so he helped me with gear selection. And I had to learn how to use it all. I have engineer friends I could call and get help. And, and it was, I bothered a lot of people a lot during this. <laughs> I made a lot of dumb mistakes where, you know, I, I did all the guitars and 90% of the vocals at home. And the guitar, excuse me, the guitars are mostly done direct. So you, you know, if you're sitting in, in the next room, I wasn't bothering my wife or kids or anybody, but, but the vocals, you know, I'm screaming them, screaming in the night like crocus, but it's a, I'm <laughs> screaming at all hours of the day. And there'd be times when there, I just, a lot of technical errors where I, I would absolutely not have recorded what I thought when I'm in my, my best take on a vocal, I go, like, oh, I didn't hit record. <laughs> Things like that, just dumb mistakes. Oh, no. and, learning about the recording process that'll make it more so much more efficient and more fun next time around yeah. and uh, i've got a you know a small boatload of riffs ready and to start working again and i think they gave me a it's a three album deal that i signed to the, the options and i you know I, they're they've given me good feedback on the response to the album too so i do look forward to doing more great yeah my last question for you is somebody yeah. Somebody gets online, they get on the Frontiers website, they order that nice piece of white vinyl, it arrives, they unwrap it, they put it on their turntable, they listen to it, flip it over, listen to the second side. Maybe they have the lights out and they're just kind of really getting into it. Old school. Music's up loud. Headphones. What do you want that listener to take away from that experience when they when they, that last note plays? That's a great question. Um... I think the overall vibe that I'm trying to, to create or establish is that uh, I keep coming back to that word of being, you know, positivity, encouraging and inspiring, but, um, and this might sound very rehearsed, but it's, 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 you know, where it comes from. It's that whole, that the classic rock vibe. And that's, I've definitely got a one foot heavily in that camp, but I'm also forward leaning, trying to bring, you know, modernize it, not too much, but kind of bring it forward in a, in a way that respects the past, but mm -hmm. 
I did a terrible job explaining that, but classic rock for a new generation. Thank you. I, I'm stealing that. Write that one down too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You you can feel free to use that in your uh, Michael your, checks in the mail yeah. <laughs> in your in your like PR that. stuff. Uh, August Zadra, this it's been great uh, talking to you about this album. I think it's really well done, and I have to admit, you know, I was only familiar with your work through you know some of the stuff that you've done with Dennis, obviously, and I haven't seen. Yeah. The live show i just uh, listened to the 26 east albums and I, I had a good time listening to this i had a great time learning about it and talking to you about it and i wish you nothing but success um where can people find you uh i know you got your facebook um you have you have a website come in or anything like that it's coming very soon and it'll be under either augustzandra.com or augustzandramusic.com augustzandramusic is what i use on both facebook and instagram so those would be the the event, the avenues for reaching me. And then real quick for you, I want to say too that if you haven't seen the live show, there's a we did a, a live recording DVD in 2014. The entire show is available. Somebody uploaded it, the whole show. Much Dennis was really upset at first. And <laughs> then it had like a million views in the first eight months. Like, hey, this is pretty great. Yeah. But um, I want you to go back, not just of course, I want you to see me doing my thing there, but Dennis sounds phenomenal. And it's it's uncanny that you know, at least once a night on stage with him, I look over and go, how is it possible you sound like that? You sound better on some things now than you did 30, 40 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah. He's just really taking care of his, of his voice. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. He's, he's, he defies logic sometimes. So, yes. uh, but August, thank you so much for your time and um, you know, best of luck to you. Michael, been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I appreciate you, your support of music. Michael's Record Collection is hosted and produced by Michael Citro. Logo graphic courtesy of Jerry Cutchins. Follow Michael's Record Collection on social media, at Mike's Records on Twitter, and Michael's Record Collection on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, you can support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash michaelsrecordcollection. For the free newsletter version, go to substack.com and just type Michael's Record Collection into the search bar. Thanks for listening.